Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Um, like Bucky said, we are in fact in this series, Love, Sex, God. Uh, culture has a voice. The church needs to wade into those waters and, and have a voice as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it is a conversation. And in fact, we're trying to stir up a, a conversation that maybe not be isolated to a coffee date. Um, but we're trying to show you, we're trying to prove to you that we care about, passionately about this by uh, creating a link where you can ask your questions online. So you can literally go to watermark.com watermarkoc.com slash questions, and you can submit uh, any question you like. We got a question last week, and uh, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to quickly address it, and then I'm going to get into our, our text and our big idea for this morning. This is the question. It's not on your screen, so you can just listen. We are a mature married couple. Sex has not been a part of our relationship for several years now. We are both indifferent about sex. Is this ungodly? Is this a problem? Uh, so first, let me just say, I couldn't be more thrilled that uh, we are interacting with this website technology as a generational church. I think that's awesome. So totally ambiguous, uh, anonymous, I mean, rather, uh, anonymous is the word, and uh, yet I'm so thrilled someone's using this technology. Second of all, I love this question. I love this authentic, personal question. It is, it's tremendous, and it opens a conversation to say at least two really quick things. Uh, again, this won't be on your screen, but I'm going to open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 7. And uh, this is going to be really instrumental. It's so, it's so neat, first of all. We get a cultural, well, it's more of a family question. This is a household question between a, uh, a, a covenant marriage. And uh, it's, it's real. It's authentic. Where do we go first? Notice what I did. <laughs> this is your first cue. Notice what I did. We can go to the Word of God. It is so relevant. And just look how relevant it is. Okay, this is from chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have their own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority of his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone here were single just as I am. But, but, but God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. So there is, this is a loaded text, and I could go in all over the place with some of the specific things that Paul outlines, but I want to hone in on one key word, unity. Unity. Come to agreement, he says. Come to agreement. Have a conversation one to another, and what I would call have a gut-level, brutally honest conversation about what those expectations are in the bedroom as a married couple. And, and that checkup is so critically important. So I say to this um, rogue, this anonymous couple out there, um, that's what I would recommend, is having that conversation. And not just for that couple, but any married couple of any age or stage this morning. Have you done that? Have you had that conversation? I'll just tell you, it is an undercoached area of marriages. Uh, for my wife and I, we've been married 10 years last month. Yay! We made it a decade. Way to go. Way to go. Good job, guys. Wait, good job. And uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that we had a couple uh, couples come alongside us and say, hey, have you guys talked about that? Have you talked about a number? A number? You know, how much you expect to, to give and receive from your spouse on a weekly basis? 
and, and that is totally appropriate for you to decide. I'm not going to go into the specifics, but my wife and I had that conversation. Look, we have seven kids, so it works. It really works. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. It's important. So talk about it. Have a gut-level, honest conversation and come to agreement. That's the beautiful thing of intimacy. Um, have you done that recently? I challenge you. Go and do that. Married couples in the room of every stage. Um, and be honest. Be brutally honest with one another. That's important to come to unity around that. Great question. Thank you, thank you, thank you, whoever put that in. Go to the website, guys. We'd love to answer more of those as we, kick, as we work through this series. All right, so we're in this series, Love, Sex, God. Bucky has laid out such a clear path from the last two weekends. You know, we have a couple outcomes that we hope to get from this series. One of them is to understand that, that sex is, is to be considered within a covenant. And that's what I'm actually going to talk about this morning. I'm going to drill deep into this idea of covenant. It means an agreement. It means intimacy uh, under this pact between the two of us and God. But the other outcome of this series is, is to redeem and to reclaim the conversation about sex by the church. Okay? So in the one sense, we want to redeem we understand that there's people in this room uh, with the widest possible range of experiences. And then when it comes to sex, there's tremendous brokenness and harm and wounds that we have. And the church has to be the spearhead in making sure that we are about healing and restoration when people have had brokenness in this area. We want to be that. And yet on the other hand, we want to re- we reclaim because we understand there's such a prominent voice in the world and culture that's very loud. And yet the church is either apathetic or just quiet or pretends the issue doesn't exist. And that will not be the watermark way. We want to reclaim the conversation and say, look, God's word has something to say about this. Let's continue conversation. A big part of the conversation of this redeeming covenant is love being in its proper time and place. Love and love making in its proper time and its proper place. And so that's our key verse from Song of Songs. You can, you can pull to chapter uh, 3 if you have your, your print Bible or your phone and you're looking at it, but it is on the screen as well. This is what it says. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Solomon chapter 3, verse 5. This is a, a, a book of poetry. Uh, Bucky said that by now, but this falls within the wisdom literature of, of the Bible, 66 books. This is one book within the literature part of the library. And, uh, and th- th- this one stanza is repeated three times. I think God's trying to tell us something. What's he trying to tell us? Wait on love. Well, great. Abstinence. Wonderful. Am I doomed to be single forever? Just swell. Thank you, God. That's the topic this morning. Just wait on love. But that's not really the whole story. This series is so much about how desire, sexual appetite is wonderful. It's awe-inspiring. It's a piece of worship even that sucks as God-breathed even. And yet our tension question is what happens when that healthy desire, it's a gift from God, turns to, to lust. And that lust of any sort, by the way, that could be food, that could be money, could be sex, you name it. Someone in the room will feel that tension this morning. So what happens when we awaken love before it's time? That's the tension question that we're leaning into this morning. So uh, I had a friend post on Facebook an article uh, about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And uh, it's a review of an application, a phone app, right? It's a little program, a little icon, games, music, social media. This is a social media application called Musical.ly. It's, uh, if you can picture it, it's musical.ly, Musical.ly. It's an app that's like a karaoke app. 
It allows mostly kids, you'd think it's marketed and targeted for kids, um, to sing, to lip sync. And then they film themselves live for the world to see. Okay, that's the main impetus of the application, is that you can sing and you can dance and then you can showcase it for the whole world. And, and this woman who's reviewing the application, she wrote this article. Um, it's a gal, a mother of kids of that age. Uh, she's got a 10-year-old and, and a, a teenager. And she wants to find out because her 10-year-old saying, Mom, I want to use this app. She's going to go review it. And this woman who's writing an article, she's the self-proclaimed town prude. That's what she calls herself because she's a little bit different. She does things differently than the rest of her neighborhood. But she wants to find out before she says yes to her kid what this app is really all about. So she takes a deep dive into the application. She creates a username for herself so she can explore it and check it out um, all on her own. Well, well, here's some of the stuff that she finds from her exhaustive personal review of the platform. Ten-year-old boys. Ten-year-old boys with some of the most physically graphic and repulsive usernames that don't even, aren't even worth alluding to. Um, Ten-year-olds encouraging other nine-year-olds not to kill themselves. I said not, that you heard me right. And that's, that on surface value, that kind of seems like, oh, cool, they're encouraging one another. But then you take a step back and think, wait, nine and ten-year-olds trying to counsel each other and, and give each other therapy? Whoa, how did we get there? Eight, nine, and ten-year-olds uh, wishing that, that, uh, that they themselves were anorexic because one little girl posts a picture of herself and her frame is literally like Auschwitz. And, and then you look in the comments section because that's how you have a conversation on social media. You comment on it. And you look in the comments, and there's young women just saying, oh, I wish I had that body. What else do you find on the, on the application? Porn, for sure. Porn, just outright naked folks filming themselves, putting it out there for the world to see. The comments, I mentioned before, comments section where kids, young kids are just tearing each other to smithereens. A young girl, maybe she's not anorexic, but she puts herself out there, and she's trying to sing and showcase her voice, and then she just gets ripped apart in the comments section. Now, Let's pause for a second. What's my point? Am I suggesting that we go back to the 60s and 70s and have some kind of witch hunt on rock and roll? Okay, pump the brakes. This is not a Kevin Bacon film, all right? This is not a Kevin Bacon film, all right? We're not going to do that. I'm not suggesting we go down that road. Hear me, okay? What I'm trying to do is echo the exact, I'm giving an illustration of exactly what that scripture on the screen means. Not to awaken love before it's time. You know, the verse In that verse, the word love comes from the Hebrew word ahava. You know what ahava means? Ahava literally means to force a love relationship. To force a love relationship as opposed to let it evolve naturally and according to God's time and place. Alternatively, that word ahava, it it means to become sexually active. And you see from the evidence of what this woman did, just ripping through accounts after accounts and looking at the activity and and who's using it and how they're using it. And you see these young children awakening love way before it's time. Having those thoughts, processing those images, processing that information with a mind that's not even fully formed yet. That's the absolute exact definition of do not wake love before it's time. And so while I'm not here to have a witch hunt, what I am here to say is let's take the lead from this woman, this mom, who, who didn't try to isolate her kids and, and, you know, move to another country and live on an island. That's impossible. But what she did do is she created a covenant container over her, the young children in her home. So, yes, they're able to use tablets. No, they don't have, you know, they don't have a phone until they're 16. That might be extreme for some of us. Fine. You're supposed to t- take and choose what you like. This is a conversation. Okay, but they have restrictions. They don't have YouTube. They don't have Safari, which is a web browsing application. They don't have a phone until they're 16. They do, have a- they do have access to tablets. They do have access to internet. But she made a decision to put a covenant protection, a box, 
a container over those things. And that's the big idea for this morning that I hope to show you by looking at Scripture. So now we're going to go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, um, which is the fall, right? It's when sin entered, the big, bad fall. But, but really quickly, before I dive into the text, I want you to understand we didn't start there. We didn't start the series in chapter 3. We started the series in chapter 1. See, because before there was sin, there was sex. And we were really clear on that two weeks ago when we started the series. It was good, it was good, God said. There was man and there was woman, and it was good. Be fruitful and multiply. A command to go after that relationship. It was good. Why do I even start with that kind of qualifier? Well, because I think, guys, as preachers and, and, and as Christians in the room, sometimes we start the God conversation with those who are searching or hungry or have questions about the faith. Sometimes we start in chapter 3. We start in chapter 3. All of us know the Romans road. Oh, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Cool. Conversation over then? Or can we still talk about what's going on? What about being made in the image of God? Where does that play? That's beautiful. That's wonderful. So if you, if you missed the start of the series, go back. You've got to go back and listen to, to week one and week two, okay? But here we are. We're in chapter three, and this is what it says. The serpent. Enter the serpent in chapter three. He was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. Like I said, we're talking about covenant this morning. Uh, some of us who are career Christians, like myself, we've heard that word before. Um, but whether you're, you're old school or whether you're new, I think this subject could use a refresher. And in this text right here in verse 2 and 3, that's covenant right there. Verse 2 and 3, we may and we must not. That's covenant language. You see, I think the issue is is that the church, God, and the Bible gets this bad rap for all the thou shall nots, thou shall nots. It's a sin scoreboard. God's just up there ready to fry you as soon as you cross the line. But you see from the text, that's not at all. The serpent even gets it wrong. He tries to trick her. You, you can't eat from any? Listen to that language. You can't eat from any of them? How fun is that? And she's like, no, no, no. We, ought, we, we may and then we may not. God's just as likely to be about the things he empowers us to do as the things that he wants to protect us from. That's a, that's a cue about God. That's an important cue to understand about God's character. So look at the garden itself even. It's a, it's a, land, it's a, it's a land full of yeses and one no. That's a God who's about good things. So what is covenant? What does that old school word even mean? Okay, there's some, some synonyms. There's, it's a pact. It's a contract. It's agreement. It's a mutual commitment. A covenant usually has to do with two parties. And here's the key, because in, in God's economy, there tend to be some rules and some regulations. But these regulations are meant to be like a wall of protection or a container. That's the big idea. That's the word you're going to walk away from this morning. I just know it. And you're going to have that word in your head. And that's awesome. Container. It's a word that comes from a guy named Pete Scazzaro. You can look up Pete Scazzaro online. Uh, he wrote a wonderful book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is another book. Uh, he has a podcast. I cannot recommend him enough. You've got to go check out his work. But he talks about, he's talking about covenant. And he says, covenant is a container. Well, let me give you a picture. All right. Does anyone know what a Fabergé egg is? You know what a Fabergé egg is? Fabergé egg. Anyone? 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 We got a nods of a half a dozen ladies and one dude. I love it. Okay. 
I don't know about Fabergé eggs by, from like history or anything. I know about it from the movies, the Ocean Eleven movies, which they're trying to steal a Fabergé egg at a museum. Uh, Fabergé egg. Think about the Fabergé egg for a second. This is like a, a, a piece of like China, basically, that was created by one particular Russian dude around 100 to 150 years ago. And they got this one egg. It's worth like $16 million dollars. It's 100 years old. It's got these gems and rubies and diamonds, and it's ornate, and it's unique, and it's one of a kind. And when you go to look at that thing in the museum, what do you see? You don't see the egg. You see, what do you see on top of it? The container. You see the container. For all I know, it's bulletproof. For all I know, you can walk a bomb in there, and that thing is not going to be phased. It's going to be in the container. It's going to be protected. So what's the application, guys? If there's something so beautiful and wonderful and holy, then when we put a wall around it, you'd contain that sucker. You'd put some protection over it. It's so precious. It has such value. What I'm trying to do this morning, you guys, is redeem and restore and and enlighten us to the idea that we think covenant, oh, it's the legalism. It's such legalism. Regulations. It's a a container for protection to, to mark something as different from every other thing. That's what covenant is. That's what Sabbath is. That God said, now take the seventh day and leave it alone. Let it be holy so you can rest. It should look different than the other six. It's the same thing with our bodies. It's a deal and the pacts and the agreements that we make with our bodies, but it's not just our bodies. It's our souls. This is soul stuff going on when our bodies come together. It's soul stuff. It's the stuff of our souls. So when, when Eve says that, we may, but we must not. That's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of the container. That's going to be instrumental throughout this morning. Verse 4, the serpent, you won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. It was uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, who said, uh, Satan cannot create, he can only counterfeit. Satan cannot create, he can only counterfeit. And I remember uh, as a teenager driving in the car with my mom and uh, she was warning me about the dangers of pornography um, as I struggled with that issue. Like, uh, I don't know, 75, 80, 90 percent of men, even in this room, have struggled with at one point or another. Uh, let's just get that out there into open air. The church cannot hide. Um, Bucky's been so clear as he's talked in this series or other series. We believe in a God and a, and, a, and, a, and a Jesus that says, come before me naked. And so, yes, that was something I struggled with at one time. And, and many, most, all men have at some point or another. And uh, I remember her words. They're seared in my mind even to this day. And, it, uh, and it's a refreshing container language even to this day where she said, you know, Ben, the thing I want you to understand is that it's just, it's not real. Pornography, it's, it's, it's not real. There's, there's no warm body there to be next to. There's no soul. There's no heart. There's no, there's no mind that you can come to know and come to experience and, and come, to, come to know closeness really with. And even as a teenager, that marked me. It, it convicted me. It made me think, wow, this is just, this is so fake. It's not even, it's not even human at this point. It's so objectifying. And it's the same for your teenagers. If you have teenagers or preteens and, and they're trying to understand intimacy, you know, the, the teenage mind thinks, if it's physical, oh, that's intimacy. That's not intimacy. I, I'd want you to know this morning, uh, Andy Stanley says this definition of intimacy. He's a great pastor and author. He says that the intimacy, real intimacy is to know someone fully and to be known fully by someone. To know someone fully and to be known fully by someone. Without the fear of having to be kicked out of the bed the next morning. As so many teenagers and young adults, as we have that relationship outside of the container, as that tends to happen. 
It's the same for any of us in this room with any of those lusts, those counterfeit lusts that we have, whether it be accumulation, just to get stuff, or the perfect body, or food, or sex, or whatever the issue is, they're not real fulfillment. You see, because the counterfeit, the counterfeit says, it's an appetite to be satisfied. It was put there for a reason, that appetite. So it should be satisfied. The Creator says, look at I put heaven and earth all before you. I've put literal heaven on earth in the form of Eden, and I've given you a garden of yeses and one no. And not only that, you can have personal relationship with me. You can walk with me in the garden. Do you understand that's the only thing that will ever fill your tummies? (laughs) Do you understand that's the only thing that will ever satisfy your appetite? That's John 10.10, right? John 10.10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give you life and life to the full. Life to the full. Anything else, you guys, is settling. And it's not just settling. It's the opposite of fullness because it eats away and it forms decay and it folds in on itself. It has this compounding effect. Anytime we say yes to one of these other things, the food, the sex, the body image, the accumulation, it, it, it folds in on itself and has the opposite effect of fullness. What does the woman say? The woman, the woman was convinced, it says in verse 6. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Down she goes. And the man shortly thereafter. Such great appetite. It looked beautiful and delicious. We're going to come back to that appetite idea later. But, but if, you, if you're sitting here and you're tracking with me, a great question would be right now, Ben, okay, awesome. Container, get it, love it, it's wonderful. But every single one of us has stepped outside of that, Ben. So what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves or we have someone in our family that we love who's outside that container? outside God's great deal. What are we supposed to do then, Ben? Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, recently, the answer, by the way, is God's grace is sufficient. I want to tell you, God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. God's grace is big. I was reading um, this morning in John, uh, John chapter 1, it says grace upon grace upon grace. That's the original Greek. His grace upon grace upon grace. That's the answer. I want to give you an illustration. We were driving down the road the other day, Riley and I, and we found out that a friend of a friend uh, is getting married. Great news, right? They're engaged. Yay. And then we found out a little bit later on that they're, they're also pregnant. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the first thought, this is, this is, seriously, this is the first thought I had. The first thought in my head was, you know what? Man, God's going to tell an amazing story. God's getting ready to tell an amazing story. There was a time when I think that used to happen, and it was, man, how can we hire She's pregnant. Let's hide her. Let's put her away. Let's ship her out. Let's export her. And you know what? Oh, let's just take care of this life. Let's take care of it. We've got to move off that conversation, guys. We have to come to a place which is following Jesus, which says grace when we've gone outside the container of covenant. Grace. There's one pastor who says when you get pregnant, when you, you're not married yet and you get pregnant, that's not judgment. That's actually grace. That's not what the guy's thinking. That's not what the gal's thinking. They're thinking, no, surely this is God screwing me over right now. No, that's grace. That's not judgment. Let me tell you how. Don't believe me? Sexual sin and lust in these different areas, when it's unbridled, when it's completely unleashed, it's outside the container. Like I said, it feeds on itself. It caves in on itself. It has a compounding effect. Talk to someone who struggles with alcohol. Talk to someone who struggles with alcoholism. Go ahead and go ask them, what's your favorite drink? That old martini that you love to mix, or that, you know, that whiskey that you just love to savor the, fl- the, the taste in. When they relapse after 5, 10, 15 years sober, you think it's fun and tasteful anymore for them at that point? No, it's a fix. 
It's a fix for them at that point. I'm not saying, I'm, this is not an anti-drinking message. Hear me. I'm giving the example of when something goes from a natural appetite, a healthy desire, to something that becomes broken outside that container and is now some kind of lustful desire. But that's the example I mean. When we go all the way down that road, watch where it ends. It is not life and life to the full. It is not. So the challenge is to get the, to the reason behind the rule. If the container is as much about rules and regulations because it's for protection, what's the reason behind the rule? That's what we got to do when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to sex. But why is it so hard? You know, the serpent had Eve's attention. The serpent had Eve's attention so clear. He had her ear so clear. And isn't the same thing in our culture today? Because we have this barrage of voices. What we need to do, what you and I needed to do, is develop the skill to tell counterfeit from creator. To tell counterfeit from creator. Because so much, you guys, so much, even you or I, we're tempted to just buy the, the world's idea of what the truth is. So what are some of the examples I hear? I hear from parents who have young adult kids, the 20-something kids who are out there, they're in college, later in high school, or they've just graduated, and, you know, they're living with someone, or, you know, they're sleeping together. What's some of the stuff I hear? Oh, I'm just so happy they're not single. God forbid they walk alone their whole life. Well, it's good for them to have that experience. They're getting great experiences, and I want them to be experienced. Like that ever fixed a marriage. Like that was the perfect common denominator for having a healthy marriage, was all the experience in the world. They're just getting it out of their system. Go ahead and get it out of their system. Remember, the world says, the counterfeit says, it's there. The appetite was given, so why not indulge? And I would argue that, you guys, when we do that, when we say those same things out of our mouth, that's not creator language. That's not biblical language. That's counterfeit language. And we make these concessions, and we water it down. And so what? We fudge the boundary a little bit. We go over the line a little bit. That leads us to, to what it looks like to be outside the container. I want to give one more clear picture of what that is as we go into the full context of Song of Songs. This is the first half of our, our key passage from Song of Songs. Let's go over it and, and, and have a look. <clears throat> this is the woman uh, talking about the king. As you, remember, uh, you may remember from the book, there's three characters. They all have pieces within this poem as it goes through. Okay, This is the woman. One night as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come. So I said to myself, I'll get up and I'm, gonna, I'm roaming the city searching the streets. I'm hitting the streets and the squares to search for the one I love. So I searched everywhere, but didn't find him. The watchman stopped me as they made their rounds. She just goes, talks to the security guards. I asked them, have you seen my guy? Have you seen the one that I love? And then scarcely had I left them when I found my love. I caught and held him tightly. And I brought him to my mother's house, into my mother's bed where I had been conceived. Verse 5, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. I mentioned that that stanza, that last line, 5, is, that exact line is repeated three times in this book. But I like the context for this one the most. Uh, I'm going to tell you why. I love the desire. I love the buildup. I'm, I'm hitting the streets right now looking for my guy. That is appetite. That is beautiful, God-breathed desire. She's so clear about her passions, which is good. Her hunger for connection and intimacy, which is very good. But you see, there's this issue of appetite. Um, remember earlier, the tree. Look at the tree and its fruit. It's so sexy. Oh, I just want that one piece of fruit. All the other fruit's okay, but that one piece just has it going on. But what is her 
challenge. The difference between good appetite and being animals, being ferocious animals. Her warning is to wait. Okay, so is everyone ready? Here we go. This is your abstinence message. We're going to just take a deep dive. We're going to talk about abstinence. We're going to be here a couple hours. It's going to be really good because I know how many of you need to hear the abstinence talk this morning. It's a huge audience. You don't think it is, but it is. I'm just kidding, guys. Jeez, get real. LOL. Actually, actually what she's talking about, actually what she's talking about is covenant. She's talking about containers. (laughs) She's talking about an oath. That stands there right there. That one line, verse 5, is an oath statement. Promise not to awaken love. It's something known in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament passages, as a negative oath formula. That's what they call it. There's a thing. This is a thing. I'm telling you. It follows a format. Okay? It's actually a formula. It's like an if-then statement is what she's doing. And this formula, the, the classic form is this. You give a warning, and then you give a description of the consequence. You give a warning, then a description of the consequence. What do we have here? Something's missing. Promise me. In other other words, I adjure you. I implore you. Take this oath. Sign on for this. The gazelles and the wild deer, they're they're like the witnesses. Picture a courtroom. They're actually the witnesses because they're metaphors for love. I adjure you. I'm trying to compel you. Take this oath. Don't awaken love. What's missing? Consequence. That's right. The consequence. I'm just going to tell you that she's making a point by omitting the consequence. This is part of the formula. You know something's really bad when they haven't given any detail to the consequence. And this is what the author says, as reading into this text. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, if the consequences of violating the oath were extremely severe, they wouldn't even be spoken. The statement of the consequences would be emoted, emoted for emphasis. The curse was so awful that one could not or dare not speak of them. Do we need the language to be written out? Do we need the detail about what happens when we go outside, when we step outside the container? I didn't when I was in college and, you know, I was sleeping with a young gal, a horrible relationship, toxic relationship before on the eve of meeting my wife. Um, And that led to brokenness because we were outside the container. We had no covenant. We had no agreement. We had no pact. And that, en- that ended in an infidelity. And it was, for me, yeah, I know I haven't lived a lot of life, and so I should be thankful. But one of the low points of my life, feeling that abandonment, feeling that betrayal, feeling like I was wronged. And yet my dad, of all people, gave me such amazing wisdom in that moment. He said, well, sorry, dude. But he basically said, all is fair in wo- love and war. Again, that's not a scriptural piece. But what, what I took behind that was, you didn't have covenant. You didn't have an agreement. What were you expecting? And by the way, stop making her out to be the evil one. You were a willing participant. It was painful. It ripped me up. I questioned God. I was challenged. My faith was rocked. I think all of us in this room have experienced something like that. Or if you haven't, maybe you will. The way this is written is the result of breaking the covenant. It's not even mentioned for how grievous it would be. I want, to conclude that, I want to conclude this because um, as the band comes up, I want you to understand his grace is sufficient for you. Because you're sitting here and you're wondering, Ben, look, I got a kid, I got a grandkid, I got a nephew, um, I, I got a spouse. And we're living in an outside the container type situation right now. What will you say to me then? You're in a marriage and, and your bedroom expectations are trying right now because of maybe a health issue or because of maybe an infidelity, or maybe because of a porn issue, or or whatever the challenge is, whatever the struggle is, the same-sex attraction issue there, someone in this room. 
You're feeling challenged by these issues. You're feeling pushed outside the container. I want to reference something really quickly. This is, I'm going to go through this passage really quickly. This is from Genesis 15. This is covenant. This is a picture of covenant. This is Abraham and the Lord. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him. He killed them. He cut them in half down the middle, and the halves were laid on either side. Verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made a container with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from this border of Egypt through the great Euphrates River. Genesis 15. So a quick crash course on oaths then versus now. Today we put a ring on it and we sign some papers and we say we're good to go. Back then they chopped up animals and then they walked arm in arm between the path of the animals. Weird, I get it, I know, I understand. You may not be able to track with that, but hear me. This is what it symbolized. They were in essence saying to one another, we both commit to this agreement, we both commit to this container covenant and should one of us disobey it, should, should one of us break it, we will ha- meet the same fate as the animals lying beside us. Remember what I said, that a, that a covenant, that a pact, that a container tends to have two parties? Did you see Abram walk through the pathway of the two animals in this passage? I haven't left it out. It doesn't like come later. Did you see Abram walk through there? You see the, you see the fire pot and the torch, which represents God. That's God walking through the middle. So what does God say and what do I want you to hear this morning? This is how I'm winding it down. This is the big idea. If you've missed everything else this morning, I want you to hear one thing. One thing. What does God say in his, his terms for his covenant, for his container? He says, if I don't fulfill my word, this is God speaking, if I don't fulfill my word, I'll pay the penalty. If I don't fulfill my word, I'll pay the penalty. He doesn't just stop there. Remember, Abram didn't walk through. God alone walked through. God alone walked through. He says, if you don't, man and woman, people of the earth, believers, if you don't fulfill your word, I'll pay the penalty. If I don't fulfill, I'll pay the penalty. If you don't fulfill, I'll pay the penalty. So what does it symbolize? Was it God himself that walked through? Who paid? Jesus. Jesus paid. God paid. It was his son. At harm to himself, he sent his son. Even when we don't hold our side of the bargain, he pays the penalty. So wherever you're at on this side of this issue, guys, you're in the container and you're happy and you're full of joy and God's just pouring out blessings and worship over you, wonderful. You're on the edge of it, you're far from it. His grace is sufficient for you. Does that mean because he's so infinitely gracious that we won wild and free and we just indulge in appetite? I think we've made that clear. Certainly not. But it does mean we're given the grace to run back at any time. You can get back. You can get back. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Pray with me. Jesus, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for your covenant, Lord. I'm so thankful that you make deals that... that you follow up on. (laughs) That as much as I go back on my word, as much as we go back on our word, as much as we fall out, as much as we fall through, Lord, you keep your side of the bargain. You give us grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you, Jesus, for that, Father. For those in the room who are hurting, who are broken, who are feeling the pain, who are feeling the condemnation, would you free them with your grace right now? Lead them to a place when they leave here this morning that they can let go of that thing, that they can have that conversation with their significant other, 
They can have that conversation with their accountability person. They can have that conversation with their pastor, whoever it is, Lord. Free them with your grace. Lead them from that life of judgment to the life of grace, Father. Wherever they're at on that pendulum of the container. In the name of Jesus, give someone the power, give someone the courage, give someone the might, Lord. Because of your grace, not because of their own power, because of their own works, but because of your grace, let them step forward and, and, and get out of whatever that place is, Lord God, that's just eating them alive. By your grace, make that possible, Jesus. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.